The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome back. It's Disability Law Show. Another edition is upon you. It's upon us, and we are ready to go. Tamara Gopian is here. Sam Fury, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. And uh, Tamara's always willing to uh, to jump on board, answer your questions anytime. Even when we're not doing the hour of this show, you can reach out. It's simple, right? 1-855-821-5900 is the number to get in touch with Tamara and her amazing team that she has working behind her. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're going to go to here in just a couple minutes send us along an email anytime one of yours might appear on a future show that and there's a website built for you that has a uh, an outlet for you to ask more questions even beyond the email it's called mydisabilityquestions.com really simple to navigate you can punch your question there send it off it'll get answered quickly it's got a searchable database so your question or one similar may have been asked previously and you can search for that and save yourself some time if not leave it there and then one more website i'm going to i'll repeat these throughout the hour because i don't expect you to write them all down but there's uh, another one you can uh, you can go to any time short memorandums memos on ltd a bunch of different topics it's about three pages deep really easy to read and use but informative called ltdfaq.ca they may uh, start and begin right there it may have enough information for you but if not uh, go forth with a phone call and give tamar and her team a call again 1-855-821-5900 okay lots of stuff to get through on the show today tamar but uh what are you going to start with the case of the day or what's been going on in your end pal Lots of stuff going on, John. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were chatting uh, just before we got on to the show about, you know, my mommy duties and the things that I do other than (laughs) this amazing job. And in the context of that, I actually had one of my son's friend's mom say, look, you know, I listened to the show and yeah, it sounds great. And are you loving what you're doing? I was like, yeah, I'm totally loving what I'm doing. Uh, because she knows, and I know you know, John, that, uh, you know, I spent a little bit of time working for the big bad insurance company. <laughs> and uh, it's been a few years now that I've joined, I've seen the light and I've joined this right. firm and, <laughs> you know, doing work for, you know, the claimants against the insurance companies. And this is what I was telling this this other mom. I said, look, I love it. I think it's, you know, absolutely amazing work. It's so rewarding. You know, there's uh, resolutions are reached, clients' lives are fully impacted. It's fantastic. Uh, And, you know, I just thought I'll start off the show talking about that topic because it's really something that I feel really passionate about. And because it segues nicely to what has been happening this week, which is I'm trying to resolve two different matters, two Mm -hmm. different insurance companies, John, with the classic they cut them off at the two-year mark. And so I'm going to start off the show talking about an oldie but a goodie because, you know, it's incredible to me how many of these claims do get cut off at the two-year mark. So for those who might be sort of relatively new to the show, what am I talking about? Most disability insurance policies have a change in the definition to continue to qualify for LTD benefits. And that change usually comes around the two-year mark. Mm -hmm. It's actually typically 24 months is how it reads in most policies. And it says, after we've paid you for 24 months of benefits, then in order to get to month 25 and 26 and beyond that, which by the way, the policy does give you coverage till you turn 65. But in order to get beyond that to that age, you need to show us that you're incapable of working in any capacity. Anything that you might have, the education, 
training and experience to do, and that would pay you roughly what we're giving you as your LTD benefit. Right. So, John, you know, the LTD benefit is usually just two thirds of what you're making before. Yeah. So the insurance company is not going to be looking to see whether or not you actually can go back, work full time, make 100% of your salary. Now it's a reduced salary threshold. And it's basically capturing any job that you could do that you've maybe never done before, but they're going to do the analysis of your background and say, look, but we think you can go and be, you know, customer service representative. You might be able to go and do retail. You might, you know, and they'll identify these different Mm -hmm. jobs. And so inevitably at that point in time, the insurance company or just before will say, look, you know, we've now paid you close to two years. We're doing this analysis and we've determined, not surprisingly, that you don't qualify and we're going to cut off your benefits at that point. And so a lot of our clients and claimants that come to us to talk to us about their claims are really around, look, what do I do at this point in time? I've been on disability for almost two years. The insurance companies never said anything about cutting off my claims. So what's happening now? And it can be really scary, really daunting for people to understand all this jargon. What's the insurance company saying about my education and training and experience? What are they saying about commensurate wage? What does that mean? And so I want to dispel some of these notions and just get individuals to understand, look, at the end of the day, if your own medical team is saying your health issues are persisting, they haven't resolved in that two-year time frame, they're not going to resolve anytime soon, and we don't recommend that you actually you know, consider even working at all, yeah. then you do have a basis to challenge the insurance company. They are not right in what they're saying to you, and I want people to know that you do have rights in a scenario like that. You know, yes, can it be frustrating to sort of think about, look, do I have to hire a lawyer and do this and go down that road? Yeah, I can. That too can be very overwhelming. But this is why we do these shows, John, and we talk to people. We have our free consults. We want to try and give as much free information out there as we can because we want individuals to know that they have options. And one option that we have found to be very, very successful and very efficient, might I add, is to retain us, start that legal claim, allow us to take that burden away from clients and let us challenge the insurance company. Because that's literally what I've been doing this week on two different files. And I'm fighting the insurance company saying, well, you know, one thing in particular, John, is I I think a lot of people don't appreciate this, but I can tell you the insurance companies know legal onus is on the insurance company to show that there's something else that you can do. That, the, the courts have been very clear about that. If there is a prima facie case of disability, okay, Latin term, what does that mean? <laughs> if your disability is there, it's present and it's supported by the medical information, which in like the vast majority of people is there. It means that the insurance company has the legal burden to show that there's something else that you can do even with your health issues, that would put you into a job that would pay you roughly two-thirds of what you're making. And by the way, on a sustainable basis. So it's not that it's a point in time. It's not that today you're going to be able to do this other occupation. It's that sustainably that you can do this other occupation because the policy is meant to provide for the possibility that you try something else, you're not successful, and you may need to get back on claim again. Mm -hmm. So The insurance companies know this, their lawyers know this, and this is why we are so successful in broaching these resolutions for our clients. You know, the vast majority of claims, John, we what we do is we get a buyout of the disability policy for a period of time. That's really the negotiation that we're having with the insurance company most of the time, okay? 
And so what goes into that analysis is, look, you know, did the insurance company meet their onus, right? That's what it comes down to. And the, uh, the vast majority of claims, they have simply not done enough or they haven't considered all of the health issues, or they haven't considered those health issues, perhaps with the jobs that they've identified. And so it's it's a landmine, I find, for most disability insurance defense lawyers to try and put up a solid defense in a claim like this or in claims like this to demonstrate that, look, this is not payable. And so there's always a good deal to be had. It's super efficient. Uh, it's a seamless process, hopefully, for my clients. I try and be as transparent, as transparent with them as I can as to what's happening. And at the end of the day, I'm committed to trying to get a very good resolution for them so that they can just go back to focusing on their health, John. And, and look, if there's a possibility for them to return to work down the road, wonderful. But at least then they've got the, the disability benefits that should have always been paid to them. They're available to them to access until they get to that point. And at the very least, they can access those those funds to fund further treatment. Because that's the other thing that happens when benefits right. get cut off, is that people lose access potentially to their health benefits, and they can't afford to get the treatment that they need. You know, it's interesting, too, and I know we've talked about this this before. You mentioned how daunting it can be for somebody who's going through this process, even just to call you, and they're facing a cutoff in the insurance company after two years. And what doesn't help, I think, Tamar, is sometimes the verbiage used by adjusters where they'll say, no, you're being cut off because you have a two-year policy, where, you know, what, the, what they're really, what they're hiding is the fact that, no, no, the change of definition happens to two years. Chances are your policy goes till 65, but then the person says, well, I guess that's it. I've only got coverage for two years. I'm at the end of the the road, so I'm um, I'm screwed, and I, th- I think that doesn't add to the stress of people when they hear that type of verbiage. Oh no, you're only good for two years, which is not the actual case, right? Well, and and, and you're absolutely right, John, because verbiage is so important in disability litigation, and there's just so much of it, right? Yeah. So not only are you know could could they be misled? I suppose is a is a nice way of putting it, but yes. You know, that is one impression that people have is that, oh, okay, so I'm done, right? Like I only get two years of benefits and, and I must be done, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the case at all for the mo- most of the disability policies that I've seen. But you add to that layer all the other verbiage that I've talked about on our show yeah. about, you know, this is the own occupation period. This is the any occupation period. This is a commensurate wage. This is the total disability test. It's a lot for people, right? You don't normally come across this kind of very specific language. And the language actually gets embedded into the letters that the insurance company actually sends over to client, clients and claimants. So imagine a situation when you've got pretty severe mental health conditions, or perhaps you've got you know, cognitive issues, and you can't really understand what you're reading, right? You have to reread something several times over. Imagine having to understand all that verbiage, all that uh, technical language from a disability policy. So, you know, I think it is difficult because they're putting people in a compromised situation by using the language almost like a sword as opposed to a shield. This is what I say oftentimes. And so they're targeting an already compromised individual by trying to mislead them that they don't have sufficient benefits or coverage beyond a certain point when there's nothing further from the truth if their health issues are persisting. So look, this is why we're here. This is why we do the shows. And I encourage anyone, if this is sounding familiar, please don't hesitate to contact us. We'll help you unpack what's what's being written to you, what's being said to you by the insurance company, and really just lay out what some options could be in situations like this. 
That's right. It doesn't need to be that daunting, right? It's a simple task of uh, just reaching out to tomorrow and your team and getting some clarif- uh, clarification, having a chat. That's uh, that's the way it all starts. There's no charge. We're just having a talk. And that number is one 821 5900 to reach out. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address, which we're, uh, that's where we're going right after a short break as we continue here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Tamar Gopian is here, always doing the heavy lifting. You have questions. There is always answers on the other end. You want to reach out to Tamar and her team, 1-855-821-5900. That would be the phone number, of course. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you simply go to disabilityrights.ca, that will get you over to the firm website. Lots to be learned there. There's contact information. The media page as well. You can catch past radio shows of this nature and our long-running TV show as well. You can watch past episodes of that. We're just getting into our next season by the way so there's always new stuff to uh to watch and hear as far as this is uh this is concerned i want to get into our first email of the of the show today tomorrow this one's from randy uh again help at disabilityrights.ca says my wife has a number of health issues she's been struggling with for years including depression and regulating her thyroid her conditions have periodically caused her symptoms like fatigue and brain fog it didn't stop her from getting a new job last year as a teacher at our local college. While she was working, she was still taking medication for her uh, mental health issues and seeing a therapist. Suddenly, a few months ago, she was struck with so much fatigue she couldn't get out of bed. Her doctor wasn't sure what was going on, so he put her off work for further investigation. Uh, it could be she has severe anemia. The insurance company denied her disability claim, though, saying it was a pre-existing condition. They said something about how uh, because she hadn't worked for more than a year at the college, there was a clause that says she wasn't entitled to benefits. If the health issues are not related, can the insurance company still deny my wife's claim? How about that? Well, I guess they can. Oh, should they? That is, <laughs> yeah, should they? Exactly. Yeah. Randy, thank you so much for such an in-depth email. And I think the details are really important here. And again, like we talked about at the top of the show, John, here's some more verbiage from the insurance company saying, oh, it's a pre-existing condition and we're going to, you know, exclude the claim on this basis. So let's unpack this. The disability insurance policy will have typically this type of clause. This clause, I can tell you, John, was conceived of some years back, I want to say at least a decade or more, the idea was that the insurance companies wanted to prevent individuals from essentially insurance shopping just to get a job so they could get on a policy or a claim and make a claim. Okay. So think about a scenario where you've got probably like a terminal illness and you're thinking, gosh, I need some insurance coverage, maybe some life insurance some disability insurance. I'm going to get myself any job that I can. And usually within three months, you've got benefits coverage and a new job. So insurance companies wanted to avoid these kinds of scenarios, so they embedded this kind of a clause. And what it's meant to do is this. The idea behind it is that if you are disabled or your health is preventing you from working within that first year of you getting that job, the insurance company can and will do an analysis to see whether or not that disability that you're claiming for is related to a health issue that you had before. Hence the word pre-existing. Right. And so each policy, each disability policy, though, will have slightly different wording. And the devil is in the details with these kinds of exclusions. Because 
yes, the onus is on the insurance company to show that they've properly activated the exclusion. But if you're coming to me and saying, which I, you know, this is what Randy's hoping for is, look, can we challenge the insurance company here? Well, I'm going to say to you, I got to see what the wording of that policy says and specifically what the pre-existing condition clause says for Randy's wife's policy. Because if the insurance company hasn't properly activated the exclusion, then there is a good basis to challenge the insurance company for benefits. And so what I want the takeaway to be here is you got to look at the wording carefully, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to accept what the insurance company is saying. So let's unpack specifically what Randy describes about his wife's condition. So it sounds to me that she had prior health issues. And with those prior health issues, she had associated symptoms that sound to me like they're quite similar to what she is actually claiming disability benefits for, even though the cause of those symptoms appear to be different. So fatigue related to mental health conditions, totally different than fatigue related to anemia or possible anemia, which by the way, is a blood condition where you've got low iron. So I think it does come down to medical, right? So if a doctor is connecting all the health issues together, then it stands to reason that the insurance company has properly activated that pre-existing condition clause saying, look, it's all related. And because it's all related, we really cannot offer you disability benefits because you're within that first year of coverage, that first year where you were working at this job. But the opposite of that coin, John, is if it's unconnected and unrelated, and there's really no medical connection between the health issue that's currently being claimed for for disability, then there is a basis to challenge the insurance company. Then then the insurance company hasn't done the right thing by applying this pre-existing clause. They've done a hasty review, and they haven't really done the proper analysis on the medical. Look, it doesn't surprise me, I suppose, right, John? Most of these claims adjusters have zero medical background. They know nothing about medical things. In fact, all they do is they sort of Google like a WebMD sort of thing. They've got that as their guiding point. And if they're really, really not sure, sometimes they'll send it out to a, to the, one of their own doctors and they'll pay them to do a quick paper review on a file. But generally speaking, when they're talking about this stage of you know, a disability claim, when you're initially making that claim and you've been de- denied right out of the gates, it's and it's because of pre-existing condition, I'm almost certain the adjuster hasn't done a proper medical analysis. And so what I'm going to lean on with Randy and his wife is, look, what is her own doctor saying about connecting those dots? If they're unrelated issues, and I think there is a basis to challenge. If they are related, though, and it sounds like they might be, or at least the symptoms might be connected, then a lot of these pre-existing condition clauses do capture that because they have broad wording, John, intentionally, of course. And they say, look, if your current disability is directly or indirectly related to what you're claiming for now, so directly or indirectly, meaning it doesn't even have to be connected, we're still going to be able to cut you off or decline your claim, basically, on the pre-existing condition. So it's rather harsh. It's yet another means for insurance companies to use this kind of wording to deny otherwise valid disability claims. Super frustrating, but you know it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the line if there's a way medically to get around the analysis that the insurance company has made in Randy and his wife's situation. 
Again, Randy, nicely done reaching out on the email. You can follow up with a phone call, which I'm sure you probably will. Anytime, one eight five five eight two one. 5,900. Let me, let me ask you this, Tamar. If, if a person's getting LTD benefits, gets a, a green light from their own doctor return to work, what happens to that LTD claim? Mm, that's a good one. So, look, this is what we always ask for, though, from people, right, John? We say, look, you need the green light. You, you need your own doctors to say to you, okay, you should attempt this return to work. Because if it's the insurance company telling you, yeah, you're going to return to work, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Uh, you're not getting the endorsement from the actual people who are treating you, who know you, who see you, who work with you, who understand your health conditions. The insurance companies, doctors, or rehab people, they have no appreciation for this. Their primary and sole goal, I can tell you, is to cut off that claim or end that claim. And they end it in two ways. One, they can cut it off saying, look, we don't think you've got medical support to continue to meet the test disability. Or two, we're going to put you through an aggressive rehab. And at the end of that rehab, we think you're going to be good to go. So those are the tactics that the insurance companies typically use. So I always say to people, look, you need that green light from your own medical team. So what happens? That's your question. What happens with your disability claim in a scenario like that? Well, look, most disability policies actually say that there's essentially a runoff period or a top-up period. So you are allowed to gradually return back to work if it's medically supported, and nine times out of 10 it is. So the doctor says, okay, let's attempt for you to return back. Let's set it up so that you're trying a couple hours a day, maybe a few days a week, and we build you up to full-time hours, full-time duties. Maybe there are still some restrictions or limitations that need to be put in place at your workplace with your occupation to allow you to actually get back to work. And I can tell you that is on the claimant to establish. So if you're getting ready to get back to work, make sure that you've got a very clear medical note or report from your primary doctor that says these restrictions have to still be in place. The employer has to endorse and accept those restrictions and they have to accept this gradual return. And so in that time frame, doesn't mean the disability insurer has to stop paying you. In fact, they should be continuing to pay you through that process to ensure that you are actually back to work full time. That's the only point in time in which they need to stop paying your benefit. So if you're still on claim, the disability insurer will partner with you and you will partner with your employer and all three players involved will get something put in place to allow you to get back to work. You will be earning money though, right? So when (laughs) you're earning income, when you're working, of course, you're not going to get your full disability benefit. So each policy will have a different uh, policy provision that says, look, this is how much we will pay during your return to work plan or rehabilitation plan, so long as the insurance company has endorsed that return to work. What's a little bit different, John, is what if the insurance company cuts you off before you attempt that return to work? What happens with your LTD claim then? Well, then the insurance company is not going to want to be involved in the process at all. And they're not going, they're going to resist the idea of topping you up with LTD while you're getting back to work and while you're getting your earnings. So there is a shortfall there that is compensable. The insurance company, if they've cut you off prematurely, then should have the obligation to continue to pay you. That's a tough one. It's a tough one to persuade the insurance companies, even if they've been hasty in cutting off the claim. 
But at the end of the day, what I'd like to see most disability claimants do is actually do get back to work. So what I encourage individuals in a situation like that is, look, try and work with your own doctor and your employer to put something in place that's sustainable. And then keep a close eye on what's happening from a health perspective. Because you and I know, John, there's always a recurrence provision in right. these policies. So if your return to work isn't successful, let's say you, you're on a go, you're on a four to six week return to work plan. And by week four, you realize, look, there's no way that I'm going to resume full-time hours. My health issues are persisting. I've got all these symptoms again. My doctor's saying, look, I need more therapy or treatment or what have you. Then you need your doctor's support to either end the return to work plan or reduce the hours or make that plan longer. And it really is on you to coordinate that with your own medical team and your employer when the insurance company is not involved. Right. And if it gets to a point where your doctor's saying, uh-uh, you're done. You know, look, we tried it. We, we attempted the return to work. This isn't successful for you. It's premature. We got to stop you here. You got to be off again. Then guess what? The insurance company should be paying you disability benefits again, John. So most people don't realize that. Most people think, oh, yeah, they're done. They cut me off. I got. I tried to go back to work. I guess it's over. It's not over because the policy will allow a period of time, usually a six-month window from when they stopped paying you to when they are expected to pay you again, essentially, if your health issues recur to the point that they are being put off work. Now, is the disability insurer going to resist a claim like that? Oh, of course, <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. You know, they they've got you off the off the books. They don't yeah, want, want you to keep on you the there. Books. Yeah, you got it, John. You got it. And so this is why the medical information is so key. You can hear me say it a million times over. It's so it's so important. So if your doctor's involved through the whole process, then the the reports are there, the information is there, the support is there to go back to the insurance company and say, hey, by the way, guys. Not only did you cut me off too soon, but I attempted to go back to work and I'm, I've taken three steps back. I've got to be on claim again. So what are you going to do with my disability claim? And if this is sounding familiar and if the insurance company is going to bury their head in the sand, then guess what? I think you do need to consider what are your other options. And one of them is to start a legal claim and pursue you your rights so that you're really not leaving the money on the table. Right, John? That's the worst thing that you can do. Absolutely. Guys, got to take a short break and want to continue that conversation, get into a few more uh, a few more emails as time continues here. You can reach out anytime if it doesn't get read on air. It doesn't mean it's not going to get read. Always send it to tomorrow and your team willing to take them, read them, and respond, of course. Help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number to reach out to tomorrow and the team anytime. 1-855-821-5900. Short break and back with more of the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And we're back. Short break. Thanks for sticking around with us. Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian, always here to answer the questions. Top-notch responses anytime, not just during the show, but to outside the hour of the show. You can do so. Help at disabilityrights.ca. The email address and reaching Tamara and her team, one 855 You can also ask your questions anonymously on a website built for you for that purpose, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll get into another email here in a minute, uh, tomorrow. But it, it's interesting. We were talking about, we spent most of the last segment talking about, uh, you know, having to return to work with your doctor's blessing, your medical team. Doesn't work. You got to get back on claim. The recurrence clause is triggered. And, uh, there, and it just, 
all of it, as you mentioned, can sound very daunting and confusing to those who are going through this, dealing with this insurance company. And you mentioned starting a claim. And one of the one of the lovely offshoots of that beginning right away, in fact, it's something that someone can take advantage of right away, is once you and your team get involved, now the irritating correspondence with adjusters and insurance companies stop to the person on claim. It is radio silence for them, and you handle all that correspondence, which could be 50% of them getting better. Let's be honest about it, because that can, that can provide a lot of stress, and you relieve that stress when you guys take over, right? Absolutely. And, and John, it's amazing to me how important that element is for my yeah. clients. It, it's, it's critical. I mean, they are so stressed. <clears throat> they have, excuse me, they have so much anxiety around having to deal with the adjuster, sometimes multiple adjusters. I, I spoke to a guy yesterday. He told me he was on his ninth claims adjuster in Come two on. years. Nine, I, no, no word of a lie. And that every time there's a new adjuster, it, it buys them essentially 30 days. He's like, you know, they're just biding my time tomorrow. It's a shuffle game. And I said, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's garbage. Um, you know, in his situation, he's he's attempted an, a couple of appeals. And I said to him, dude, you got to stop going down that Big rabbit time. hole. Uh, and so, yes, we're going to start a legal claim. And I said to him, look, you're going to be freed from having to be responsive to their emails and their calls or the lack thereof. You know, it goes into this ether and then you don't hear from anyone. In his case, you wouldn't hear from anyone for like a month. And then there would be a new adjuster popping up saying, oh, hi, I'm your new adjuster now. Now I'm going to deal with it. I'll talk to you in a couple more weeks. And the, just the gaps in time, the delay, the frustration, not knowing what's happening. And in many of these instances, the benefit isn't being paid, John. So you're just a sitting duck. You're just waiting to have the insurance company do whatever it is that they're doing, if they're doing anything. And they don't have the luxury of doing that with a legal claim. They must respond. There are strict rules and regulations all over Ontario about the response times to a legal claim. And in certain jurisdictions, they also have to sit down and have talk settlement with us within six months of the legal claim being initiated. That is a really narrow time frame. I know six months, you're like, oh, tomorrow, that's a long time. But I say to mm. people, look, you've no idea. The insurance companies know that this is the, the MO, this is the routine, because every month that you are not getting your disability benefit is another month of exposure to the insurance company for monies that have to be paid to you. So guess what? When we sit down in six months to have that conversation, the starting point in my mind should be what hasn't been paid. Let's first talk about getting to that point first, and then we'll talk about the rest of the claim. Yeah, it's interesting. All this again. This sounds confusing. Reach out anytime to tomorrow to clear it up and have that uh, have that chat one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Get to an email from uh, Farzad. Farzad says, "Hey, tomorrow I was badly hurt at work, and now I can't do my job. My doctor is saying I may need back surgery, and I shouldn't work until I see a specialist for an opinion on the best treatment for me. Should I be making a claim against my employer for an unsafe work environment, or am I entitled to disability benefits?" Well, Ooh. That's a good question too, Farzad. And so I would say a little bit of both, a little bit of both. So this is a bit nuanced, John, because, you know, as you know, you know, our firm does both disability work and employment work, and we have dedicated, you know, information and shows around the employment work. So I'm going to try and talk as much about the disability side of Farzad's situation as I can, and just make him aware that 
from an employment perspective, just briefly, yes, you can, you know, claim an unsafe work environment. There are places you can go to make those kinds of, um, you know, reports and this sort of thing. And by the way, and most importantly, if you are hurt at work, you should be pursuing a work workers' compensation, a workplace safety and insurance board claim. And you should be alerting the tribunal that you've got this um, workplace injury because that is another avenue for compensation for individuals who are hurt at work. So if you've got an incident at work, that's if, you know, typically most employers will ha- will be part of this work- workers' compensation plan. And if they are, you'll be making a report to them. And I can tell far as that, that's a totally different entity, okay? Workers' compensation is totally separate from your employer, totally separate from disability insurance. They are self-regulating and they have their own adjudicators. They have their own system and plan and rules and policies around uh, getting compensation for individuals who are hurt at work. But there are similar components. In other words, it does include rehabilitation, typically, if you are approved, as well as an income component. So why am I saying all this far as that? Because it is related to disability in the sense that if you're approved for workers' compensation benefits, most disability insurers will say, we get credit for that. So in a situation like that, I would recommend making applications for everything and everyone, all right? So yeah. initiate the workers' compensation claim, but you should absolutely initiate the disability claim as well. I'm not sure how far along Farzad is in terms of his disability and his injury, but if his employer doesn't have short-term disability he and, and it's going to persist, and it certainly sounds like it's a pretty serious issue because he needs back surgery, then most certainly he wants to initiate that long-term disability application. Make the application, see what the insurance company says in terms of your disability application. If you don't apply, you don't get that benefit, and you may be out of time. There are time frames involved with these kinds of applications. So I encourage, I know it's a lot of paperwork, I get it, but I encourage people to put that paperwork in. It's worth the effort so that you can access all the benefits that you can. And the disability insurer may do one of two things. Either they'll say, yep, we've approved your claim. We're going to start up the disability benefit. Or they might say, we deny your claim because we don't think it's serious enough. You could be working until you wait for back surgery. And then we'll look at, you know, the rest of it after that. Either way, I'm not sure I'm entirely pleased with it. But what you should know is that there's always coordination of benefits. So workers' compensation and LTD do work in tandem in the sense that the disability insurer will take credit for whatever you're getting for workers' comp. And usually the workers' comp income amount exceeds what you would get for LTD. So if you are approved for the workers' comp income component, typically LTD will say, look, we approve you, but there's nothing to pay here because we're taking a full credit of what you're getting for workers' comp. And there you have it. And that is how it works. Uh, still confused, Farzad? That's no problem. You've uh, you sent the email. Good job. Had an explanation there. You can always reach out by phone as we get into a, a quick break. That is 1-855-821-5900. And we'll uh, do that short break and uh, back with some more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Thank you for joining us again this week. Tamar Agopian is always there to uh, to be reached out to and get some clarification. Have a chat if you're dealing with an insurance company adjuster facing a cutoff or you've been told to appeal. We love the A word, but uh, don't just jump into it and uh, do it on your own. At least have a chat 
and get an overall feeling of where you should be. one 821 5900 in that regard. And help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we pull from each show. So you can send yours along to that, uh, that address anytime as well. Uh, Tamar, is there one, maybe even two things or key things at least that people need to know when dealing with their disability insurer other than taking a couple Tylenol at a time? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I talk about all of the key things every show, John, to try yeah. and whittle it down to like one or two things. Uh, look, I-, I think that the one thing that I want to dispel, a lot of the time most people don't understand that they too have rights. It's not just one way that the insurance company must do these things. You know, you've got rights with the insurance company and those rights are somewhat mutual. Yes, disability is all related to this contract. Yes, you didn't have anything to do to write those words. This is something that was agreed to usually between your employer and the disability insurer. But the courts have made clear that it's not just the contract. There are other duties and obligations that flow from the insurance company to you as a claimant. And you should be aware of those. And that includes transparency, respect, you know, good faith dealings. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they can't mislead you. They can't try and trick you. They, get, you know, uh, they, they can't harass you. They can't bully you. You know, these things are not allowed. And the courts have, in instances where insurance companies have been have breached their duty to a claimant. I can tell you the courts have been all over the insurance companies and have awarded damages against insurance companies who have had poor conduct. But I find generally, John, when people come to us, they're so worn out in dealing with the insurance companies, they don't even realize that there is some mutuality there. They just feel the pressure of, the adjuster's asking me to do this, I must do it. And the insurance company is calling me again, so I must respond. And the insurance company is making me go to this rehab facility even though, you know, it's it's every time I go for treatment, I'm vomiting and I'm in bed for two days, you know, these kinds of things that it can't go to that point. OK, it shouldn't go to that point. It has. I've heard those horror stories. It's terrible. Uh, but I think a key takeaway for individuals is that they do have rights, even in those scenarios, even when they're feeling beholden to the disability insurer. It doesn't go uh, you know, one way. That's a two way street. And. So look, this is why we try and develop as many supports as we can. You know, we've got uh, memos on how to deal with difficult adjusters. We've got, you know, obviously our shows, the platform, the disabilityquestions.com. You can send us a question if you don't want to call into our shows. We totally get that. If you want to have a private conversation, let's have at it. I mean, not a problem whatsoever. No charge, no fee, no nothing. You just get the information and hope that you feel a little bit more empowered in that because Knowledge is power, John, and that's the key. Inform yourself. Understand, look, what is the level playing field here? Let me, because most people have never dealt with a disability insurer before, ever before. And frankly, probably most never want to deal with them again. It's not a pleasant experience. And when you're dealing with a health issue and you're relying on this income, you want to know what you're getting into. You want to know what the rules of the game are. And, you know, I think there's a natural inclination to sort of you know, comply. And I do think that that is important. You know, if the insurance company is asking you to do certain things and, you know, get certain information, if those requests are reasonable, you should be compliant with those reasonable requests. Uh, But, you know, where does it go wrong? Where are the areas where they're not allowed to do certain things? Lots of information out there. And if you're not sure, don't hesitate to give us a call and have a chat. 
I want to get on to Nestor sent an email along. Thank you, uh, Nestor. says, hey, tomorrow my LTD was accepted as a recurrence claim and uncovered until April 2023, which is the two-year mark. They're asking me to apply for CPP disability. Should I? Does it affect getting CPP when I retire? By the way, I'm 52, says Nestor. Oh, good question, Nestor. So, look, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's great that, you know, his recurrence claim was approved. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's only been approved till the change of definition, right? When we talked about this at the top of the show, John. So what the insurance company is saying is we're accepting that you're totally disabled from your own occupation. We're accepting that your, you know, disability is preventing you from working at the job that you were doing at the time that you became disabled. And we've accepted it, even though you attempted to try and go back to work. We're putting you back on claim, super, and we're approving you until that two-year mark. And in the midst of all of that, they're saying, look, we also want you to apply for CPP disability. You know, that signals to me a couple of things. I know there's one insurer routinely, John, that will send the CPP package like within a number of months to everyone. It's just part of their process. Go apply for CPP, okay? And, you know, individuals look at this and they, they interpret it to mean that they must apply, and in fact, there is no real obligation necessarily under most of these disability policies to apply. I got to say, I don't see a lot of downside to it, Nestor. So you should want to apply. Yeah. And I think, you know, if there is at least an expectation that your health issues are going to persist for at least another year or so, then yeah, by all means, you should apply because the test to be accepted for CPP disability is if you've got, <clears throat> excuse me, a severe and prolonged disability. And so you know, it sounds to me like the severity is there if the disability insurer has accepted it. Then the question becomes the prolonged part. And there's no hard and fast rule, John. It's not like, okay, a year makes it prolonged or two years makes it prolonged. But it signals to me that the insurance company thinks maybe it's going to be prolonged. Maybe it's going to get past that two-year mark. And it is going to go into the any occupation phase of the policy. And in situations like that, you may want to pursue the CPP disability because if the insurance company decides to cut you off at the two-year mark, then you'll at least have the financial support from the CPP disability benefit to have that continue until you explore your options of what to do if the insurance company decides to cut off the claim. So I like the idea of a CPP application, regardless of your age, if the health issues are supporting that your health issues are going to persist and there are going to be severe and prolonged. And it I'm understanding that it doesn't really compromise your retirement either. So I think once you get CPP disability, my understanding is that at 65, it'll just simply transition to the old age pension, or I know that's not the term they use anymore, but the straight right. CPP. So in a scenario like that with Nestor, given where he's at, given his age, given his dealings with the insurance company already and his already attempted uh, ability to return to work and not being successful in doing that, he wants to protect not only his disability benefit, but his entitlement to CPP disability as well, and ensure that those benefits are available to him in the event that his health issues go beyond the two-year mark, and he's in a situation where the reality is, unfortunately, that he's not going to return back to sustainable work uh, in a full-time, capable way. 
And with that, we have uh, run out of time, but there's so much more to be learned on future shows for sure. But in the meantime, you can reach out to Tamar and her team, always ready there to uh, to take your calls and educate you as well. Further, one 821 5900 The number, help at disabilityrights.ca, is the uh, phone number we've been, or at least the email address we've been uh, reading from all show. You can use that as well. And again, another place for you to ask questions anonymously, by the way, a website called mydisabilityquestions.com. Use that whenever you like, and we'll catch you next time on the Disability Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.